This week, we discuss helmet ratings, we trash Ryan F9's latest video, and we discuss some safety gear you might not consider. All the gear, all the time. This is Crossed Up Podcast. Welcome back to episode two of Crossed Up Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Derek. And today, we're going to be talking about gear. Gear, my favorite. Yeah, we're going to talk about what you should wear, why you should wear it, and maybe even uh, who is gear really for. Yeah, I, well, I think gear's for everybody, but... Exactly. Yeah. Which is a very short point that we're going to make. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the entire point. Uh, if you're not wearing gear... It's a little foolish to not work. It's just a little foolish to not work here. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's something um, I do on a regular basis. Yeah, there's really... It's not wearing gear. <laughs> yeah, there's really just, frankly, almost no reason to not be wearing your gear. Uh, so we are going to talk about what levels of gear exist and who, or not who, but what what all the gear really is yeah so i do want to clarify i i said i don't wear gear on a regular basis and that's that's not entirely true um i do wear gear on a regular basis but uh you know uh, occasionally i slip up maybe it's a really hot day i'll just wear a jacket or something like that but um it's always always boots and gloves at the very least and boots gloves and a jacket helmet which isn't at gap Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's not all yeah. the gear all the time. So, and and that is what everyone should be striving for, I think. Yeah. So let's start this conversation by talking about what gear is there that exists on the market, and what purpose does it serve? So obviously, your gear serves the purpose of protecting you in case you have some kind of incident where you either fall off your bike or you get into an accident or anything like that so obviously everyone knows there's helmets helmets are arguably the most important part of your overall gear but then there's jackets pants gloves boots and so many so many accessories that people claim will help you with protecting your neck or whatever there are so many things out there and we're going to try to talk to you guys a little bit about what it is and what they really do so to start this conversation we're going to be talking about what Derek and I wear now and a little bit about what we wore when we first started riding so for me i start i started with a showy rf 1200 helmet uh and this was this is kind of a your sport touring mostly sporty helmet that's uh snow rated and when i was first buying my gear i went into the shop and i said i want to not spend two thousand dollars but i also want to be really safe so the guy in the shop said you know the well the most important things about your helmet are that it fits properly and that it's safe right so you know he told me that the showy rf 1200 was a helmet that he would recommend even if i wanted to spend way more money from a safety perspective because it's also got that snow rating and it's you know just an overall really well made really well fitting helmet yep. and frankly it fits my head pretty much perfectly yeah so a lot of people don't know what a snell versus ece versus dot rating is and i i think that's an important place to start especially when you're looking into helmets so let, let's just start with dot because that's the number one rating for the united states um DOT is a uh, self-administered test that helmet manufacturers do to their helmets to make sure it meets the DOT ratings. 
DOT ratings can be taken on any location on the helmet, for the most part. And basically they test impact rating. Generally, these impact ratings are done on the crown of the helmet, on the very top. If you check our show notes, I'm going to be putting this in the show notes, um, crossuppodcast.com slash podcast slash 102. I'm sorry, correction, 002. Uh, you'll be able to see uh, the show notes for the show. Uh, you'll see a link to a picture. And this is a helmet. Uh, I'll describe it as well if you can't find the picture. Uh, this is an example of a helmet and its percentage of likelihood of impact based on accidents. The number one area of impact in the United States is the lower right chin. This is really, really important. 19.4% of all helmet impacts fall on the right chin part of the helmet. What that means is that half helmets and three-fourths helmets do not protect the majority of impacts. 19% of impacts are to the lower right part of the chin, 15.2 are to the left, and then you've got another 10% on the visor. That is by far the majority of impacts to a helmet. Yeah. It is very important that you get a full face helmet. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, well, then that means I can just get a modular and fold my modular helmet up. Modular helmets do not meet ratings when they're folded up either. They, they can actually crack in half when folded up and, and, in, in a, eh, and in an impact. So that's probably where I'd start is if you're going to get a helmet, make sure it is a full face helmet. I personally use a modular helmet just so I can do things like, you know, drink a Gatorade bottle like I did today or, or, you know, talk to people, flip it up in situations where I need to hear better or something like that. Um, but I never ride with my modular flipped up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. And what, what I've heard as a kind of uh, interesting way of putting it is, you know, if you go into a store and you put on, say, a half helmet or a three-quarter helmet, and then you go and stand next to the wall, and you kind of move your face all around, you know, and you touch you touch your helmet to the wall, and you kind of move your face around, and any part of your, your face that touches the wall, ask yourself, are you willing to lose that? It's kind of... That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of, you know... I think you could accomplish bit. the same task with your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just smack yourself in the face a few times and be like, how would that feel if my hand were, you know, a thousand grit, or I'm sorry, 20 grit and, you know, moving yeah. at 60 miles an hour? Yeah, exactly. That would hurt. Um, you could really mess up your face. So a lot of people think top of the head, like I said before, DOT ratings generally taken at the crown of the helmet. Crown of the helmet, 0.4% of impacts are on the top of the head. Yeah, it's ridiculously low. You're very unlikely to impact anything with the top of your head, and even if you do, that's much more of a much more likely spine injury than a head injury. Yeah, um, just because of that compression. Yep. Yeah. So, I think that's the number one thing people need to consider with helmets is just the likelihood that when you fall, you're gonna hit your chin on something your chin yeah. on your face yeah uh and you know it's really because you just kind of need to think about it logically right when you're riding a motorcycle or really any vehicle your direction of motion is forward so if you have any kind of collision that's front forward to backwards then the front of your face is what is most likely to hit something whether it's your bike or if you come off the bike and you end up face down somewhere, that is the front of your face yeah. that is in the highest risk area. Yeah. Um, so, uh, since we we're talking about full face helmets, if we look at Snell and ECE, both of them only rate 
full face helmets. Well, Snell does not do uh, modular helmets. Yep. Uh, they refuse to to rate modular helmets, but ECE does. They have very similar rating systems, but Snell is used in a lot of racing applications, so generally they're a little bit more strict. More, yeah, more strict. Um, so, uh, Snell is a really good rating. It, it's probably the premier rating system in, in the world right now. Um, they update their ratings every five years. DOT hasn't been updated in God knows how long. It was like 50 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been way too long. Um, ECE updates their ratings every so often. I don't think it's on a regular schedule. And uh, a lot of countries rely on these. And they say, you, you know, you can't use a helmet with a rating older than Snell 2010. Yeah. Or 2015. Problem is, less helmets are rated with Snell and ECE, especially in America, because it costs a little bit more. Um, and the the companies are actually on the hook for paying for those ratings. They have to manufacture and submit and pay to have their helmets rated. DOT, if you're ever questioned, if a manufacturer only has to produce their testing, if they're in fact asked about their testing legally, it's completely in-house. They don't have to prove it to anyone. They can do it themselves, put their own sticker on there, and then if there is an issue, they have to prove they meet DOT standards. Yeah. Which means that there's no reason to actually meet DOT standards. Yeah. Just form a limited liability company and you're you're done. You're scot free. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, one of the important things that I wanted to talk about in this episode is that uh, Fort Nine. Who oh, yeah. sells motorcycle products in Canada? They make a lot of videos on gear, and you know, both of us watch most of their videos. I would say because they they make some good content and they have a lot of really good information in their videos. But what I wanted to address in this episode is that one of their latest videos not to call them out or anything but one of their latest videos talks about the the beginner gear and you know the kind of it kind of asks the question of you know what what gear does a beginner really need and yeah, yeah. they put a priority on which one of these things is your priority yeah yeah and i understand why you'd want to do that if you're selling gear but really I think you agree. Everyone should be wearing all of their gear. Yeah, yeah. So my my main issue with how Fort Nine came up, came up with their uh, their idea of this is the priority order. If you don't have a lot of money, is statistics, and he kind of talks about how well statistically. Your hands and your feet and your head are the most likely to be injured when you're a beginner because, you know, you're generally doing low-speed maneuvers in a parking lot or, you know, when, when you accidentally drop your bike and you fall off of it, you're very likely to try to catch yourself with your hands, which makes sense. Um, but the problem is that once you go beyond a parking lot and you're going over about 30 miles an hour, then your chances of injury from anything that's not your hands or your feet being pretty dangerous yeah. goes up significantly. He made the point in, in the video, actually, of feet protection being super important because your feet are basically at bumper level for other cars. Yeah. That's a... Th that's a ton of metal between, you know, your ankles between a large chunk of metal being your motorcycle yeah. and another large chunk of metal, which is a car. I don't think your motocross boot, which is what he was going to, what he suggested is really going to do that much against getting T-boned by a car or yeah. even just lightly tapped by a car. Um, yeah. That's yeah. a lot of 
That's a lot of force. Yeah, yeah. Even like even for a plastic boot. So like statistically, there are a lot of injuries there. But how much of those injuries are actually going to be prevented by wearing a motocross boot versus? I just I I don't think all of the statistics were sound in his reasoning. I think boots are very important. Don't get me wrong. I think everyone should be wearing riding boots, but I don't think his statistics necessarily translate to safer gear. Yeah, so the problem is that statistics can really lie a lot and you can end up with some some of these issues where you know, you go, well, the amount of injuries that happen to the upper body, let's say the chest or the back, right? It's fairly low because it's kind of protected in the fact that you know you have your arms and most people catch themselves with their arms whether or not they intend to but really when something happens to your upper body or your legs it's far more likely to be very dangerous because of the fact that you know your heart and your lungs and all that is you mean chest yeah you said your feet and your legs Oh yeah, well, yeah. Okay, yeah. yes. So, so when you're when you're in an accident and you do damage your upper body, yeah, it's a more damage. It's a more dangerous injury, exactly. Than you know, breaking a couple bones in your feet or or an ankle, a wrist, something exactly. like that. It, yeah, it's a more dangerous injury if you get hit and your back hits a guardrail, yeah, or a cement concrete wall, exactly. or another car. Exactly. Um, it's important to have back armor most jackets don't have sufficient back armor I'm just going to throw that out there right now um it's important to have back armor that can prevent your back from hyperextension and you know i think that's called hyperextension where where you bend over backward yeah. too far um it's important to have that kind of gear exactly and while those accents are just statistically low the danger of severe injury is higher yeah so basically all of this is to kind of make the point that if you don't have the money to buy a piece of gear for your entire body then don't ride a motorcycle yet yes yeah. for sure yeah for sure if you don't have the money then you can't afford the motorcycle exactly i think it's important when you're, and I think we mentioned this in our first podcast, to when you buy your motorcycle, make sure you put enough money aside for a full set of gear. Make sure you have armored pants, armored jacket, gloves, boots, full face helmet. Yep. About you could probably get the whole kit for just under a thousand, maybe a little more than a thousand twelve hundred depending on especially certain factors like pants. Pants go from crazy extremes. Yeah. Um, I think I think Ryan did make a great point. Uh, I don't think, you know, his goal is to sell gear, but I don't think that he was completely wrong in his choices of gear. Yeah. He, he was definitely right about what, you know, wearing the right kind of boots. Because yep. there are crush forces when you drop your bike on your ankle and stuff like that. And they're designed yeah. to have a bike land... They're designed, those boots are designed to have a bike land on your ankle while it's on top of a rock. Like, they're yeah. meant to support a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, another good one is the gloves. Uh, making sure that you have armor around the wrist of your glove is, is very important. Making sure you have armor on the back of your fingers. A lot of people don't take that into account to prevent your fingers from going back too far. Um, that kind of stuff is really important. I don't think it's okay to prioritize which gear to buy. And that's yeah. that's my that is my only issue with his video. Yeah, yeah. To be clear. Yeah, that that is really the the issue with the video. But he does make a lot of good points about what kind of gear to buy and I think that yeah. they are they are on the right track there. So, Derek, would you like to tell us about your helmet? Yeah. So, I I really love my helmet. But uh 
you know, it, it's a Shoeberth E1. It's a variation of the C3 that they make, which is a modular helmet. Um, it has a off-road kind of motocross-style peak on it, um, removable. Has a folding-up front face and internal visor. And there are a lot of safety features. Oh, uh, one of the other really good things I like about it is an adjustable buckle. I prefer buckle cell helmets versus D-rings, personally. No real safety reason. I find I just find them easier to undo with gloved hands and do with gloved hands. That's really it. Um, once you get used to it, D-rings are pretty easy, too. So, uh, Yeah, so I think my favorite thing about the E1, which was today, we were riding into the sun at one point, today, and I just kind of put my head down because I have that peak on the front. I can adjust my head and it can prevent the light from hitting me directly in the eyes, making it really easy to see. Um, being able to have an internal visor is really, really helpful on bright sunny days. And it's, it's a heavy helmet, but it has a lot of airflow. So it balances out. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Um, but it's very expensive. Like I'd mentioned in the last episode, it was $800. Yeah. But yeah. I've crashed in it, um, and it protected my head very well. So, uh, I'm, I'm a convert. I can't wait for the E2. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of funny that you paid $800 for a helmet, and your visor doesn't like to stay up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little, both of them had that issue. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely a design thing. I think it's because air hit air gets so when you fold up the visor, it folds up underneath the peak, but it creates kind of a wedge. And I think air drives up into that and forces it down. <laughs> as well as I don't I don't think they designed the ratcheting system quite uh, quite enough. Or maybe they were like, well, we want the visor just to fall flat. Because, you know, we want to protect your eyes. Maybe, I don't know if it was a design decision or not, but Martian has the same thing with his C3. Yeah. Um, so, it's annoying. I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to lie, it's annoying. Yeah. Because um, I'll be, like, flipping it up at red lights, and it'll fall, and I have to flip back, it'll fall. Yeah. 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 Uh, my helmet is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum for expensive helmets, I guess. Uh, because you know it's it's about five hundred bucks, but you know Showy's main thing is kind of that they really really prioritize rider comfort and therefore you know fit and finish, and the comfort of the inner linings is really really taken into account. But it means that this helmet, because it's kind of, I guess the entry level to their expensive stuff. It doesn't really come with a lot of the bells and whistles so you know it really just it's uh it's basically a very simple basic helmet that's done well you know so it it's doesn't a, it's a very safe basic helmet. exactly um and you know it comes with the emergency pull uh cheek flaps cheek cheek cushions yeah but other than that, you know, it's just, you know, your regular, regular clear visor. You don't have any kind of drop down. It doesn't have a peak, anything like that. But, you know, it was done really well, and that's what matters. So let's move on and talk about jackets. Yeah. So uh, we just got done watching uh, Long Way Round, which is Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman going around the world. And I was looking at those Klim jackets. Every time I watch that show, that I've watched it like three or four times, I'm just like, I want a Klim jacket. And then I look at the <laughs> prices, and I'm like, I'm glad I have this Olympia jacket. Yeah. That, it's like four season. I wear it all year round. It's cool for the summer. It's got enough layers for the winter. Um, I had a friend convert my liner to be a heated liner, and it was like 300 bucks or a yeah. little more. They've been making the jack for a long time, so I actually invested in D3O armor, 
So it's got all, you know, non-Euclidean, or not, yeah, non-Euclidean, no. Non-Euclidean. Non, what's the one where? Newtonian. Newtonian. Yeah, non-Newtonian. It's got all non-Newtonian armor, which means that it's very flexible when I am just normally moving. But when I hit something, it firms up real hard. T3O is probably my favorite armor. Yeah. The jacket itself has a spot for a water backpack. It's got vented front panels, vented back panels, underarm panels. And it's got a waterproof pocket in the back that doubles as a place to put your rain jacket. Mm-hmm. It is a really great entry-level level adventure touring jacket. Yeah. All right. And now I will talk about my jacket. So I've jackets. got a, jackets. Yes, yeah. I've I've got two jackets that I would say I still use fairly regularly. Although I definitely choose one more than the other if I can. Dainese zip together jacket and pants for both jackets, uh, which is kind of an underrated feature I would say. Um, you know, any kind of jacket or pants that have some way of sticking together or you know if your pants have some kind of suspenders yeah. then i i think that is a my jacket zips in my pants i just don't do it <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah i think it's kind of an underrated feature and until a lot of to, until you need to go to the bathroom sorry we're getting off on a tangent <laughs> my pants we're gonna get to them that my pants there are some issues i have with my pants anyway yeah. sorry keep going <laughs> keep going with your dinazi stuff yeah so it is a nice feature yeah, so it's a it's a really nice feature because you get kind of some of the some of the benefits of a one piece without the the bulk and uh, I guess harshness of needing to deal with a one piece. So uh, I have a textile mesh jacket and pants. The pants are not super breathable but they have kind of this nice little section that you zip up and it it's got mesh there so it kind of helps to bring some some airflow through there and it's really nice for the summer and then you know once it gets a little bit cooler then you can just zip it back down and it helps keep some of that some of that warmer air in and it makes it really nice for that and it's really just kind of a pretty basic you know it's got I bought the the back protector for the jacket um, that was a little bit expensive. It was like ninety dollars, yeah. which you know it is what it is. But it's a level two, and it's got you know hard armor in all the important places. So you know knees, elbows, all that, all that good stuff. And uh, the the nice jacket will. We'll talk about is the Dainese D Air Misano, and that thing is <laughs> that is that is a great jacket. So it's full leather, and it comes with the Dainese airbag right integrated completely into the jacket. So you know you just zip it up. There's a little metallic button that you when you close it, it completes the circuit and then it's armed. And then you just zip it all the way up and you're done. It's really, really simple and very well done. And it's uh, it's got that nice Italian leather. <laughs> you just like your Italian leather. <laughs> Bougie. All right. So, Derek, would you like to tell us about your jacket? Jacket uh, and pants? Oh, well, or okay. So I was going to go about... into pants, but I actually forgot one of my jackets. Okay. Which my other jacket, which I don't wear very often is a speed and strength armored hoodie with Kevlar. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you f- I forgot about it too because I don't I don't fully trust it. So they say it has a sliding component to it. It's comparable to textile jackets and stuff like that. Um I'm not sure about that. It hasn't ripped or anything. I'm just I'm just not sure how long it would actually last in a slide. It's definitely the kind of jacket I wear where I maybe I'm not concerned about sliding as much. Yeah. Shorter rides. I don't go hard when I'm wearing that jacket. Same thing with the jeans. Um, 
it's definitely something I wear mostly in the fall, spring and fall, just around town. For short, like I'm just going to the store to get groceries or yeah. I'm not riding on the highway really. Or I'm taking a long way to work. That's generally what I wear for that. Yeah. Um, moving on, I have two pairs of pants that I like to wear. I have my uh, armored jeans. I don't remember what brand they are, but people tell me all the time that they can't even tell I'm wearing armored jeans. Mm-hmm. I like them. They're pretty comfortable. They're jeans. They've got Kevlar and they've got armor in them. Um, I'm not sure what brand armor. It's not D3O, but it's something similar. My other pants are, and these are the ones I wear most of the time. They are the pants I wear when I know I'm going to be going fast. Mm. Which is most of the time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So they are a pair of Moose Racing Adventure Pants. Adventure Riding Pants, you know, uh... They're made for going off-road and going through mud and that kind of stuff. They're kind of cumbersome to put on. They look like snow pants. They're big and puffy, and they have pretty big pieces of armor, hips, knees, uh, shin armor. And no, they don't have the shin armor in them. Um, But yeah, hips and knees. They've got vents on the front and the back. They also have a gaiter in the fly which doesn't sound like a issue but when I was saying it I can zip my jacket to my pants it means I can't use my fly when I need to go to the bathroom so and it has suspenders so it means the jacket needs to come off if I need to take a piss if they're zipped in it's really inconvenient sometimes well see that's your issue yeah. These have a fly? Well, they have a fly. It's just got a giant piece of vinyl yeah. over the front to prevent water from getting in. The problem yeah. is I need water to get out. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Maybe I'll try some endurance catheters. <laughs> See how that works out. Oh, God. <laughs> well, if we do that ride to uh, Circuit of the Americas, we may not have a choice in that. Um, it's a long ride. Yeah. So, uh yeah, so I really I really like those pants. I've I have crashed in those pants. You can't even tell. Uh, I think they have like one rip on them in the back somewhere where they were on an exhaust at one point. I cr- I crashed with those pants multiple times. I think I even was wearing those pants on the tail of the dragon when I crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> most of the crashes have been off road, but they have been in one on road crash. So, gotcha. But most of that crash was sliding on my back and head. So. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about gloves. So what do you like about your gloves? Don't. I'm really lazy, actually. I bought a pair of gloves from their Cortec gloves. Not great. They were cheap. Um, and uh, they fit me well. I think I've gone through four pairs of them, so they're not very sturdy. Uh and uh, the, the best thing about them is that they have pretty good knuckle armor. Um, and I've punched, I've punched trees with those gloves and not <laughs> felt much. But then again, they're black. They're not perforated. They, they work with my phone, but only because they're completely penetrated with sweat. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, they're just average gloves. I really should get better gloves, to be honest. Yeah. My other pair of gloves are Cortec as well, but they're snowmobile gloves. Those are underrated as winter gloves mm-hmm. because they are armored against crashes in the snow and they have uh, thin, thinner palms so that you can grip on your snowmobile grips and not feel like you're... you not have that layer of like down between the glove and the, the throttle so you get good throttle control. They're puffy, they're waterproof, and you can punch trees with them, just like my other Cortec gloves. Yeah. So they've got they've got some armor underneath the actual fluff. Yeah. Yeah, those are my two pairs of gloves. I used to have some other mesh gloves, and then I realized if you can if you can see your skin through the glove, it's probably not a good glove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
for me, I wear some kind of cheapy. They're not extremely cheap. They're probably about 120 bucks. Uh, they're full leather gauntlet gauntlet length gloves mm-hmm. that have knuckle and finger protection as well as palm and they're really kind of what i would consider the minimum for you know a good street glove because it kind of incorporates all of the the aspects of a good glove without being yeah. you know extremely expensive so, so there is one point i want to make about like riding and going the distance one of the key features a glove needs to have for me is a need to easily be able to put it on and take it off while riding which sounds like a really bad idea and it is but when like your headphones disconnect from your senna or or your senna is about these this is usually why i take off my gloves my senna is about to die and you need to plug it into the charger <laughs> or my headphones have come unplugged for my Senna, you just, it, without being able to see anything, it's almost impossible. You need to have that dexterity in your fingers. Yeah. So for me, it's really critical to be able to take off my glove while riding, to be able to fiddle with my helmet. But that's uh, because I'm not willing to pull over and stop for 30 seconds when I'm on the highway going on like, you know, doing 300, 400 miles in a day. I'm not willing to just stop to plug my headset. So, yeah. You know. Not the most recommended thing to do, but <laughs> I, I guess we're just throwing that I mean, out the window for this episode. <laughs> I, I'm throwing that out there. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, for me, it's critical. I, I mean, I can't ask a big group of people to stop because I need to plug up my son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't want to have to catch up with them again. So for me, it actually is a really big deal that I have, yeah. that I can do that. Yeah, of course. All right, let's talk about boots. Boots. So you and I have two very very different yeah. kind of boots. I have. I don't think they're even made anymore. Um, I bought them when I did my East Coast trip a few years ago, along with these pants I'm still wearing. Um, that was when I had the V-Strom. They are seedy, deep rain boots. They're not their nicest boot on the market. They don't have the most X, XO armor, which is definitely something I would definitely change about the boot. Um, but they are waterproof. They were waterproof. Um, they definitely need to be replaced. They're kind of at the point where the heel of the boot has started to come away from the armor. And now the armor acts as a giant scoop for rainwater so (laughs) it just soaks my boot like they used to just stay dry in torrential downpours and now it has like you know these giant wings that just catch all of the water coming (laughs) off my front tire and funnel it into the heel of my boot on my left boot nice um i may get them fixed i may just replace it so but they were they were expensive they were cds so they're not cheap and they're european cut yeah. Um, it's just very hard to find size 14 yeah. boots, yeah. especially in that European style that you can, they're like when I'm, I, I wear them sometimes underneath my khaki pants for work, mm-hmm. which I want to get some armored khakis. It's just really hard to find. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So I wear them underneath that and they look like loafers. They don't look like, eh, they don't look quite like loafers, but they don't look like boots either. Yeah. Yeah. They don't look like I'm wearing combat boots everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wearing Alpine Stars racing boots. Aren't they kinda. like a three... They're three-fourths, right? Aren't they? Are they full For, height? Yeah. No, they're full height. Let me see. I'm oh, you're wearing, not wearing them. I'm not wearing them right oh, now. Okay. In the Asian household. I don't wear <laughs> shoes in the Asian household. Um, yeah. So they're... No, they're full height, which means that... Uh, it covers covers your shin, which I I recommend personally because then it means that you get full coverage of your shin because you know your shin armor only goes down to a little like a few inches above your your ankles so you know you want something that's going to be able to kind of bridge that gap yeah so you know both of us are wearing full height boots for that reason and it's it's a pretty important 
feature that I would say not to overlook for your first boot. Yeah. Um, but kind of the, the big difference between yours and mine is that mine are perforated, which means that in these lovely torrential downpours that we get, oh, yeah. uh, you know, once once the rain starts coming up from the ground, it it goes right into my boot yeah. all the way down. <laughs> well, I have the same problem right now, too. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah. The other difference is that because mine are much more of a street slash light track use boot they have toe sliders on them not that i ever really use them <laughs> but you know because my kickstand leads my bike more than i do <laughs> but yeah so you know it's just it's kind of nice that you know there there are options out there for features that you might not think that you would that you would need so that's just uh yeah. kind of one of our so kind of talking about our last week was uh, the second race at uh, the uh, Austrian ring, the Red Bull ring. Yep. Vinales. Uh, so this Vignales. this track is too fast. I think I think that that's just a fact. They had to extend the fence after the last MotoGP. This is going to be a short one. the The main thing I wanted to bring up is that Vinales bailed off a bike at like a hundred and forty miles an hour. Yeah. It, it was like a hundred, some one hundred and forty-three, something like that. I think it was two hundred eighteen kilometers an hour. Yeah, which is about one hundred and forty, one hundred and fifty, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in there. And he like pulls the brake. In the slow mo, you can see him. He pulls the brake once; it just sinks. He pulls it again; it sinks, and then he just jumps off the bike. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty spectacular. He downshifts a couple times to slow down. Yeah. realizes that he can't, you know, deal with it and just kind of hops off the back. He just kind of falls on his back. It was, yeah. takes balls, but you have to have a lot of trust in your armor Yeah, to yeah. do something like that. Yeah. and Which, of course, they do. They do. They crash all the time. Yeah. But. Yeah. And I, I think that's why, you know, having a nice butt makes it a little easier. Cause you got you got a little bit of you know cushioning down there, so you know when when you gotta when you gotta when you jump gotta off jump, of a yeah. bike, and your butt hits the ground, you don't want your tailbone to just immediately smack into the ground yeah. at however many miles an hour you're going. Yeah. So, well, um, I guess it makes me very safe. Exactly. Yeah, I've got a lot of cushioning for falling. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, just not on my head, apparently. Uh, but that's that's a. Story for another day when I, my last major crash. But. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about MotoGP and. Okay. What, what kind of, what kind of was happening there. So, you know, this, this circuit is very, very fast. And. two long straights. Yeah. Yeah. And that means that in order to slow the bike down you need to be able to break. So, reportedly what happened is that after two weeks ago, there was that really, well, really bad Well, the incident. week before. Yeah. The, the week before, because we're talking about a race that happened last week. The, the week before Vinales' crash, yeah. there was the Zarco and Morbidelli incident. Yep. Which, I don't know if that was brake fade related, but... Brumbo yeah. identified an issue with their brakes fading during the last race. Yeah. So, for uh, the race where Vinales crashed, they had come with bigger and beefier brakes for all the companies to go and install on their bikes. Vinales was one of only two riders to not install the new big brakes yes and what rossi talked about at the end of the race was that the problem with the yamahas is that they don't make enough speed to really compete with the hondas and the ducatis so they have to try to make up all that speed by braking way way harder at the end of those straights and into corners which means that your brakes get a lot hotter and are under a lot more work. <laughs> a lot hotter. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Anyone who's ridden a tiny bike fast knows what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've probably had this happen. Exactly. And, you know, you, you need your brakes to work. It's kind of, sounds kind of intuitive, but, you know, if your brakes aren't working, that's pretty bad. <laughs> so, so, I don't know if anyone really, I, I don't know if people know the physics of boiled brakes. Uh, essentially, when you're hitting your brakes enough and they get up to a certain temperature, you'll start to boil the brake fluid. That pushes fluid back up the tube into the reservoir, and now you've got a, a bunch of air in your line, yep. which is just vaporized brake fluid. When you pull the brake, you're reintroducing brake fluid back in, but you've got this giant cup, like, cushion of air. Yeah. Once your brakes cool down, that cushion, you know, shrinks back down, everything comes back to liquid, your brakes return to being normal. A lot of people have had similar things happen, and then they think their brakes are dead, and they get back to riding, and they're fine. I've boiled the brakes on my WRX. That caused a really weird issue because it warped my rotors. But um, it's something that, that happens, and it can be very, very dangerous. Yeah. Smaller surface area means a, a smaller area for friction, which means the brakes get hotter, less cooling area, and boiled brakes. Yeah. Yeah, and the the biggest reason is because Gases are compressible, where liquids are generally incompressible. Which we learned about that last week. Yeah. 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 Yamaha should know this. Yeah. But clearly they don't know that you can't compress fluids anyway. (laughs) Yeah. They need some help with their physics. Yeah. Yeah. And they need bigger brakes. (laughs) Yeah. They they need to listen when Brembo says, hey, we have big brakes for you guys. Yeah. I, I get... I get that the riders are have the final say on their bikes, but that was a really bad call from Vinales. I, I think he was. Uh, it wasn't such an issue last week, and I don't. I don't know. I can only kind of infer what might have been going through his head. Maybe he was just so comfortable with those brakes. He's been riding with those brakes forever, and they never cause an issue. I don't know. Yeah. He decided not to go with the bigger brakes, and he. Lost his brakes. He lost his brakes twice in that race. So that's yeah. that's kind of what happened. Was he he at one point slowed way way down, and I think he actually ended up setting like the slowest lap of the race. He lost like four or five places. Yeah, yeah. Put his left hand up, which or I'm sorry, his uh, uh his I, right hand up. Was it his left hand or his right hand? His right hand up. Okay. Which generally means I don't have brakes. Uh, that's kind of a like a hey everyone look at me I don't have power I don't have brakes something's going on and that's yeah. kind of a warning to people behind you that that you're going way slower than everybody else yeah his brakes cool and he rejoins the race instead of pitting yeah that's where he fucked up yeah 100% 100% that's where he messed up and by continuing the race he pulled his brakes more ended up bailing off his bike it was, it was spectacular. His bike hits the wall and just bursts into flames. Yeah. But he caused he caused a red red light, which means everyone got to go back into the pits, yeah. change their tires, and completely messed up. What? Uh, who was leading? Ah, I'm drawing a blank on who was actually leading because he wasn't. He didn't win. It was Miller? Uh, what was it? Miller? I think it was Miller. I don't no. remember. No. no, it was. Oh, we should have rewatched it. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. The person who's in the lead did not finish in the front. Uh, I, I mean, he finished up there. Was it Oliveira? May have been no, Miguel Oliveira. Or did Oliveira win? I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, or I'm really, it's blank. been a while. Yeah. But anyways, so weight savings, bro. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Probably. All right. So let's talk a little bit about safety. What I would say are safety accessories. Okay. So. Things like airbags, neck braces. Um, there are probably some other ones that I'm not thinking of. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some things that I would consider safety that I think a lot of people overlook. Um, why don't you go ahead with your airbags and, and neck, bra- neck braces since you know a little bit more about that. All right. So, yeah. So airbags are kind of one of the 
most interesting, I would say, advances in safety in the last 15, 20 years. So they've been introduced in, into MotoGP and they've been developing it. And then fairly recently, I would say about in the last five years, they've been kind of pushing it more into the consumer market. So you get things like, you know, the Alpine Stars, Tech Air, Dionysus D Air. And then apart from MotoGP technology, you have things like the Helite. Mm-hmm. So the, the kind of main difference between these is that the D Air and the Tech the tech air are pretty similar systems where they basically use a bunch of sensors like accelerometers gyroscopes all these things inside of a jacket or a vest that you generally put underneath some other compatible jacket some jackets come with them already and it's kind of its own thing but basically all it is is you know they have some kind of algorithm that determines whether or not you're getting into some kind of crash and then it sets off the airbag and then the helite has a tether that you physically attach to your bike so that when you pull on it hard enough it triggers the airbag generally because you know you your body is leaving the motorcycle you know probably through you yeah. drop it and it's sliding away from you then it triggers so these are super super cool technologies that i think if you can afford it you should definitely try to get your hands on it in some way obviously it's kind of out of reach for a lot of people because the tech air and d air systems in order to get a compatible jacket is really really expensive the the jacket that i got i got on like a 60 percent sale because they're discontinuing that they were discontinuing that jacket and so it was on a closeout but on original retail it was something like 1300 dollars for this jacket yeah they are expensive yeah so are neck braces though yeah neck brace is gonna be pretty expensive i i looked into getting a neck brace and I seriously considered it, but I have the issues with my neck already. My neck gets very stiff, and I need to like roll it around and crack my neck. Um, and I couldn't do it with a neck brace on. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I can't ride for hours without being able to like just do that. And well, you can't see what I'm doing, but like turning my head and cracking my neck. I I need to be able to do that, and uh, otherwise my neck gets really stiff and it's quite painful. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up not getting, because I mean, the exact thing it's designed to prevent is what helps my neck feel better. Like, yeah. so I realized that, you know, it's a, it's a great safety feature. I, I just couldn't, couldn't do with it. Yeah. Um, so real quick, I'll kind of fill people in if you don't know what a neck brace is or what it does. Essentially, it's kind of this sort of u-shaped object that has it's kind of a a long half cylinder with a hole cut out for your head and then you know you slip that around your neck this this is a super super rudimentary explanation because yeah. i'm not sure really if there's a good way to explain what they are yeah but well, i mean if you've watched any sort of uh car racing You've seen neck braces and stuff. NASCAR yeah. uses neck bracing. F1 uses neck braces. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've probably... Well, are they? Yeah, they're still using neck braces. They're kind of integrated into the seat and stuff. Anyway, yeah. Um, I don't really follow F1 that much. But yeah, uh, and they prevent your head from making movements that they shouldn't make. And also from compressing your spine, like we said yeah. before, in that 0.4% of crashes, it prevents your helmet from coming down towards your shoulders yeah yeah basically any kind of uh lateral torsion Mm -hmm. or uh longitudinal torsion as well as compression which are all in high force applications really really bad for your spine yeah so they're also not super common for motorcycle accidents yeah 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 and there have been a lot of arguments for why people should wear them 
but I'm not sure that they're really catching on at all. Yeah. They're fairly common in motocross, but really, really not very common for the any kind of normal street use. Um, but they're, it's kind of important to note, yeah. I guess. I guess for, if we were doing a race or something like that, like at for like 30 to 45 minutes at a time, yeah. I could probably wear a neck brace. Yeah. But I can't wear a neck brace for an hour and a half. Yeah. 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 Um, and an important note is that if you do decide to buy one, it does not work with any kind of airbag system. Airbag yeah. systems are designed in in and of themselves to provide the um, the torsional prevention. So you know things like the D air or the Tech air come up to the helmet generally a little bit to kind of prevent your yeah. prevent the compression and all that. So. You know, it's important to know if you plan on buying any kind of airbag, don't also buy a neck brace. No. So, here are my two things that people probably don't expect to be considered safety gear that I consider safety gear. One is some sort of GPS um, with you know the, a GPS that you can see the roads on, and and I'm gonna say a dedicated GPS. Because I feel that phone screens are too reflective, and they just don't have that matte finish that's required in bright applications like riding during the day to be able to see the map. And being able to see a map is, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, being able to see the map really helps with being able to read turns and read what's coming up in a trip, especially when you're going fast. It's like having a little mini map. Um, they're very, very handy. And they they warn you of some other things as well, motorcycle-specific ones. They warn you of, you know, railroad crossings and twisty roads and red lights and speed cameras and stuff like that. Um, so that's, that's one of my big things, is I think a, a map can be an invaluable safety tool. The other thing is a communicator. I feel like we've talked about this before. This might be on the Euro episode. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, not okay. coming out till later, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I may have talked about... I, I, I think I talked about this in an upcoming episode. I don't know how we want to put that. Anyway, the other thing is a communicator. Because it allows you to communicate ahead of, ahead of yourself. Um, and do some things that... Just freaking magic tricks on the road. That's what I think of it as. Because... Uh, when you have a communicator and someone says, oh yeah, it's clear on this hairpin and, and you pass a car and they think you're just passing blindly on the outside of a turn or something like that where you can't see anyone, but you know, it's clear because you, you know, you have a friend or something like that that can relay information. Um, that's a pretty big safety device as well as just normal things like, Hey, I'm going to stop hey, I'm going to pull a U-turn up ahead. Or, hey, we missed that turn. Uh, I'll, you know, wait for you here. They can be a really big safety device. And they prevent a lot of confusion on the road, especially when you're riding with a friend. Yeah. Or in Derek's case, he says, we're going to turn at the next stop sign. Or, no. Oh, next, I just said the take next, the next left. The next, and then take you the drove next left, past the left. And then you can't see it. And he goes, okay, see ya, <laughs> and yeah. then waits for you two miles down the road. <laughs> yup. There was a yellow sign on the right that said that there was a T-intersection coming up, and then there was a green sign with the road on it. I just said, take the next left twice, and you missed, you missed the first one, and on the second one, I was just like, well, fuck it, bye. <laughs> so, yeah. To be fair, the sign was a little bit hiding with the trees. Anyways, You're, anyways, you are so. bad at reading road signs. <laughs> you are you are bad at navigating. I'm sorry, sorry Brian. My, sorry, my eyes are you know <laughs> a little, <laughs> a little small. <laughs> so yeah, yeah the the communicators are super important. Uh, I would say it's really really handy to have one, even if it's just for yourself, and you can have you know a connection with your GPS or 
you know. Yeah, just be able to hear GPS. Yeah. It's handy. Yeah. Um, on long trips, keep your sanity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you can listen to music, things like that, and it'll help kind of combat any sort of boredom or anything like that if you're taking a decently long trip. Yeah. And, and I think those are my two, like, major safety things. Also, a GPS means that you can put your phone away. Yep. Um, for certain reasons, I need to keep my phone within eyesight, um, but I generally don't just use it. Um, but there, there are reasons why I need my phone within eyesight. Otherwise, it would be away in my pocket, somewhere physically on me, in case I get separated from the bike. Yeah. And I need to call 911 or something like that. I would prefer to have my, my phone physically on my, on my person. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I, I think that's, that's the end of this episode. Hey, thanks for listening to Crossed Out Podcasts. New episodes come out every two weeks, and if you're interested in finding our back catalog, we can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and most of the places podcasts can be found. You can also find our catalog at crossedupodcast.com.